And courage is not something you're born with. Courage is something you develop. You have to have the courage to keep going when you fail. You have to have the courage to take the first step in any endeavor, which a lot of people don't. You have to have the courage to push yourself beyond your limits, the courage to do the hard things, as we talked about, the courage to overcome fear of criticism. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Our guest today in the Forge is retired Lieutenant Colonel Amy McGrath. Amy is a Naval Academy graduate and had a 24-year distinguished career in the United States Marine Corps. She served in combat as a fighter pilot in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Today, we discuss what it means to be a patriot, how to respond to doors being closed in your face, how to deal with failure, and how to cultivate the courage to follow your dreams. You're going to love this discussion. Strap in. Throttle up. We're ready for takeoff. Amy, we are so, so grateful to have you on the show today. I'm really excited to dig into your background, what you're working on, which is super fascinating and right up, well, all three of our alleys. So it's going to be a great discussion. And always nice to have another veteran on the show, though you spent double the amount of time in the Marine Corps than I did in the Air Force. And you're, you have a much more fascinating background, as Ron and I have noticed. <laughs> So, Amy, you flew, I believe, the Super Hornet, FA-18. Uh, I, I think, flew uh, the it, the Super Hornet is the, the Navy's version. Okay, okay. Uh, the Marine Corps has the what we call the legacy version, the ah. Charlie and the Delta version. So it wouldn't technically be correct for me to say Super Hornet, uh, but I flew an F-18 Hornet, and they were and uh, still are the best of the best. So. Oh, and I love that. And, and for those of you who don't know, Amy, I don't know if this is maybe a, a, a normal career path, but you started out as a weapons systems officer. And, and for those of us out there that are listening that are not in, in the aviation world and don't know what that means, Amy was goose. If you know Top Gun, Amy was goose. That's how she started her career. And then later she transitioned to being an actual pilot, being Maverick. If so yeah. there you go. So everybody knows Top Gun, right? You yeah. can, And hopefully with the new Top Gun, we'll start to have female models of actually women out there flying and and that's a wonderful thing so we won't have to compare you to, to men but but what a great what a great path right how is that normal to, to kind it's of start not out normal as a- and it's part of uh sort of the theme of my life is that you know you don't get anywhere very quickly i did not have good eyes um thanks to my father <laughs> <laughs> who uh, had uh, Coke, you know, Coke bottles for glasses. And, and so I inherited bad eyes and I couldn't become a pilot, a front seater until I got my eyes fixed, which didn't open up in the military until about 2000, 1999, 2000 timeframe. So when I was commissioned in 1997, I could only be a backseater if I wanted to fly in fighter jets, knowing that I would maybe have a shot to be a frontseater at some point. 
but that now at that time I didn't. So I went and became a weapon systems officer. I ran the radars, ran the weapon systems, the communication, navigation, that sort of thing in the backseat. And really looking back, I've done both backseat and front seat in the F-18. You know, my backseat tour, probably more exciting because I did two combat tours in that uh, time frame, both Afghanistan and Iraq, and really had a lot of responsibility as a backseater in, in combat. The front seat was was awesome too, and it was a lifelong dream of mine, but they were both pretty amazing jobs. This was all kind of culminating and starting, I think for you in the late 90s, is that correct? Um, what was that like? Because I, I joined the Air Force in the late 90s, and I remember the controversy of female pilots, female fighter pilots, females on the front line. I mean, this was a big topic and it was not an easy one. So I have a feeling that your beginning of your career path, maybe your entire one, but definitely the beginning was not easy. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Well, um, and and I, I wrote about this a lot in, in the book that, that just came out, Honor Bound, that about my story and that it really started in the late 80s because even though I wasn't old enough to be in the military in the late 80s, that was when I had this crazy dream to to be a fighter pilot. I was about 11, 12 years old and it was, you know, 88, 89. And I was, you know, I was just loved fighter jets and wanted to fly and, and had to learn why women were not doing these jobs it was not because women didn't want to do them. It was because there was a federal law prohibiting women from doing them. So I became an advocate at a very young age to change the law all throughout high school. I wrote my member of Congress. I wrote my senators. I wrote every member of the House and Senate Armed Services Committees a letter. And that was my goal. And I got lucky because at the age of 18, when I was a senior in high school, we had an election where we had more women elected than ever before in history in Congress. And we had a new president in 1992 was elected. And in early 1993, uh, under the, the Clinton administration, and this new Congress repealed that law. And they opened up not all jobs to women, but many more, including aircraft carriers and fighter jets. And even though they opened it up, it was still new. And it was still, people were still worried. I, I will never forget, even after going through many years of training and finally getting out to a fighter squadron in about 1999 timeframe, 2000, 1999, men who I were in those squadrons would say, oh, you're, you're part of the experimental units. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I, I don't think I'm experimental. <laughs> like I, I got the same training, everybody else. I'm, you know, but th there's this mindset of, you're sort of the guinea pig. Mm -hmm. We're going to see if the jet turns pink. You know, we're going to see <laughs> if if you can actually perform under pressure, if you can actually, you know, do this thing, or if you're going to like break up. And, and so that was always on the back of my mind throughout at least the first part of my career is that I was being watched quite a bit with everything I did. And I, I had that pressure and, you know, I knew I could do it though. And part of it was growing up being a, an athlete, being a soccer player, being a basketball player, understanding what competition was like, and you have that confidence. And I, so I knew, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be able to do this. So you can, you, you guys can just watch, but I'll do it. I love that. I love that that confidence. That's wonderful. Uh, you know, you said you felt 
pressure? Was that added pressure? Do you feel like, did you feel like, and we've had some women that, that were in the military on our show, and did you feel like you had to do more to, I don't know, in some sense, prove yourself, maybe to exceed what the men were doing? Did you feel that at all? Or did you just say, hey, I just got to do what they're doing? I think as a woman in the fields that I was in in the military, you will never blend in. So what you do, if you're good, everybody will know it. If you're not good, everybody will know it. And there's no way to be just Joe Schmo. So the pressure is really, it's, it, yes, it is you, you, you putting it on yourself because you know that everybody, you know, you may be the only woman in the entire air group or one of the two or three, maybe. So if you don't perform, if you don't do well, you are now, you know, you sort of have the, every woman is sort of, you're, you're, you're taking it all on your new shoulders because that's what the men see. If they see a woman that can't perform, they're just going to make that uh, assumption that, that no woman can do this. And that's not what I wanted. At the same time, I think that you have to allow yourself to fail and you have to allow yourself to, to not be great at everything. You know, excellence is getting up after you fall and doing it better. And that is also something that I learned in the military is that, you know, you're going to sometimes make mistakes. You're going to sometimes fail, but, and all of the men are going to know that because you're a woman, they're going to know when that happens, but you know what? They all did it too. And what they're really looking to see is what does she do when that happens? Mm. And if you get up and you brush it off and you're like, all right, well, I screwed that up. Let's go and ace it next time. And you do that, then there's a lot of respect out there. Uh, So true. And you mentioned earlier your book, which just came out. Congratulations. Honor Bound, An American Story of Dreams and Service. Talk to us about that a little bit and why you wrote it. What were you hoping to accomplish with this? I wrote it to twofold, really. I, I wrote it to inspire young men and women to follow their dreams. Because a lot of the book is my story of, you know, being told no being told you can't do this and just not caring and keep driving forward and going step by step by step, doing the hard work, doing the hard things to get to that point. Okay, so it's, it's, it's more of a story of inspiration, um, sort of climbing the hills and, and doing that sort of thing. And the other piece, the other reason I wrote it is I really want people to believe in this country and believe in, in what I think are, are truly American values, and not, not so much in a left-right sense or Democrat or Republican, but true American values. And so throughout the book, I have weaved in stories of my life, which I look back and recognize those are the stories that made me have those values. For example, my neighbors in uh, San Diego, in my first and second tour there, were immigrants, refugees from Iran. And that made a huge impact on me because I understood immigration for the first time in a different, maybe a different way from growing up here in Kentucky, that these people were Americans. They loved this country and they did the hard thing in, in, in trying to get here. And, you know, and their love 
we became friends. And so it, it's sort of those types of stories along the way that I wanted people to know about and, uh, and believe in our country. As I was looking through your book, you mentioned, you know, you talk about these values of dignity, decency, honor, and compassion. And, and my mind immediately kind of latches on to compassion, you know, a close cousin of empathy. And right now, you know, it seems like our country is very divided. I think that's, that's an understatement. How do we have, and maybe you just answered this, but maybe you can add to this. How do we have more compassion and more empathy for those around us that are different? I think it's just, and one of the things the military taught me was that, you know, you grow up in a world where I grew up in Kentucky, where everybody was pretty much the same, you know, same, same religion, same socioeconomic background, same ethnicity. And then I went into the military and my first roommate, and I talk about this in the book, was a uh, a woman of color, young woman of color from Queens, New York. And she couldn't be paired with the most, the different person than the, than the girl from Kentucky. And we went through this really hard, you know, boot camp like atmosphere in Plebe Summer at the U.S. Naval Academy. And, you know, all of the stereotypes that we had that she had of, of me and that I might have had for her went out the window in the first like two or three hours of being yelled at and having to do push ups and having to depend on each other. We had to depend on each other, we had to help each other out. And, and I think that, you know, it's it's that really looking at, at other Americans and recognizing that other people's lives, you know, they may not have come from the same background that you do and they have a different experience, but that we're all in this together, that we're all Americans. We all have a vested interest in this great democracy of ours and we have to protect it. And part of that is making sure that we uh, are involved that we vote, that we go to reputable sources of information, that we hold our leaders accountable, you know, and part of it is is not allowing them to tell lies and and those types of things. So I think, you know, that's that's all of what I care about going forward in trying to help our country. Well, I mean, clearly it's evident that you are quite patriotic and you spent 24 years, which for anyone that doesn't know, that is above and beyond what most people would ever consider a military career. So 24 years is a very long time. In the Marine Corps, of all the, of all the services, the, the toughest and most elite. And then it's evident from reading your book that you're deeply patriotic. So we would love for you to share with us and those listening what patriotism means to you. Patriotism means, obviously, it means loving your country. But it doesn't mean loving your country in this, I'm going to love it no matter what, and I'm just going to, you know, live my life and fly the flag. It means doing the hard things to keep your country moving in the right direction. And what does that mean? It means holding your leaders accountable. It means being involved. It means talking to your kids about civics, about the community. It means service. To country and service to your community or to your state in whatever capacity that you can do. Everybody's lives are different. Some people have uh, kids like me and, you know, they're working full time and they don't have a, a lot of time to give. I understand that. But do what you can. 
and, and, and at the minimum be involved in your democracy and vote and be up to speed on what's going on because there is a lot going on in our democracy right now. I mean, the events of January 6th are just absolutely unprecedented. I mean, never in, an, in a million years would I have thought that a former president of the United States would basically not agree to a peaceful transition of power. This is a big deal. And we have to keep making sure that we stay involved as Americans. You know, there's this notion that that politics and politicians should just be they should be up there and the rest of us should go barbecue and live our lives and let the let the, the politicians do their thing. No, 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 no. Now is not the time to do that. Our democracy is fragile and we all need to be involved. And to me, that's what patriotism is. It's stepping up. And sometimes it's hard to do because I mean, I just think about my family. I mean, we're, we're so divided right now. Nobody wants to talk about some of these things, but we have to do. We have to. Mm, what a great theme, right? We, we talk about doing hard things. And, and what's the easy path? The easy path is to not, not talk about it, right? And, and to kind of put our head in the sand and not have those difficult conversations. I, I totally agree with you. Let's have those conversations. They're needed. They're important. I'm, see, I'm seeing a theme here, Amy, and, and I think that, that you would probably agree that you when, you when the door closes on your face, you, you say, no, no, no. You know, in, in your book, you say you were pissed off. As, as a 14-year-old, you were pissed off that women couldn't be in combat. And, and you've already touched on that. But I'm also seeing kind of a theme in your life that, again, when, when you face adversity, you don't give up. I think to myself as a 14-year-old boy, and I, if, if the laws said that I couldn't be in combat, I probably would have said, well, no, nothing I can do about that. You took a totally different approach. Is that something you think you – was that part of your DNA, you think, or part of the way you were brought up? How do we teach that to our young leaders? I think that, you know, not taking no for an answer, it, it is it, – a bit of an acquired skill. I I did have the passion at that young age, but I also had a lot of support uh, from my parents and my family. You know, when when the roadblock was there, the combat exclusion law was there, I talk about the anger in my book. And I actually had journal when I was like 12 years old, I had a journal. And so I have a diary. And so I have those and I, I have some excerpts of, of that time frame. And, you know, it wasn't that I was so angry and I just stopped. It was my parents, my mother in particular, who said, okay, well, there's this law. How do we change a law? Okay. Well, the cool thing about our country is we can change the laws. We don't do it, but your member of Congress can do it and the president can do it. So let's advocate for them to do it. And here's how you advocate. And so she helped me with a path to keep pushing, you know? And so I think my, the lesson for me, for young leaders is that when you find an obstacle, don't just think that you ram through it yourself. Mm. You find a path and you find a path by help get, getting the helpers to help you. They're not going to do it for you, but they can help you find a way that you can do it. And that, that I think is, is the lesson from my early days. And none of that was easy, of course. Once once the doors were open, then I had to do it myself by going through the training and years and years and years of, of hard work. 
Brilliant. I see this a lot in the corporate world, and I know Ron sees it as well. Women that are taking on or thinking about taking on what they're calling mentors. And I always advocate for find a female mentor or a male mentor, of course, but that has pushed through that door so that they can do exactly what you're saying, which is help you along the way or give you the support as you're doing it. Because I think a lot of women today, especially younger women in the workforce are struggling with, there are so many mixed messages going on right now about how to become a a trusted and energetic and honest, trusting leader in the right way as a female. And those mixed messages are coming from anything from Sheryl Sandberg, you know, lean in or don't lean in, speak up, don't speak up, be feminine, no, be like the men. So what, how would you coach young women really starting to ramp up in their careers as leaders in that realm? Yeah. Well, one, I think the the idea of having a mentor is is fantastic, and it doesn't have to be a man or a woman. In my life, they were mostly men, just simply because of the the nature of it. But I do think that you know, believe in yourself, and I say that because th- there is you're going to have to pick your battles, and I talk about this in my book. You're going to have to pick your battles and as to what you want to stand up two and four during your, your career. So at, in my first fighter squadron, as a, one of the first women in my fighter squadron, there's a lot of antics, a lot of sexist stuff that went on, training where there was inappropriate pictures and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I chose at that time, very junior aviator, I chose to ignore it. I didn't stand up on the counter and wave the pink flag and say, you know, me too, stop this. I didn't do that. And I don't, I don't judge anybody that does do that, but I did not do that because I felt like if I were to do that, I would basically be drummed out of the squadron that, that the, they needed me to be part of the locker team, you know, in the locker room and part of the team. And I felt like, well, this is stupid, but you know what, I'm going to, I'm just going to ignore it water off the duck's back because the ultimate goal that I have been working on for the last 10 years is right in front of me. And it's that fighter jet. And if I have to watch a few porn slides, you know, go by, I can do this. And so I say, pick your battles. And, and that, that actually worked well for me. And I was able to, to, to do that. And you know what, then I was able to rise in the ranks in the Marine Corps. And by the time I got to the rank of major, guess what? None of those antics happened anymore. <laughs> right. And that happened, and that happened that way because I rose in the ranks and they knew that I wasn't going to stand for that. And I had the credibility at mm. that point to be able to say, no, we're not doing that. Because everybody was a lower rank. And so you you, you sort of you have to know your where you're at in a business or in the unit and, and feel it out a little bit. So there's no perfect answer to those things. I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Would you say it's like you need to know how you want to make your mark? And yeah, exactly. you did not want to make your mark by saying, this is, no, me too. This is not no, right. I, I, I wanted women to succeed and I still want women to succeed. But I felt at that time, the best way for women to succeed was not to stand up and say, these sexist antics need to go away. I felt the best way to succeed 
was to be the best fighter pilot weapon systems officer that I could be and to rise within the ranks, get all the qualifications I could and be excellent. And in that way, you know, some of these things could go, go away over time because I had the credibility to say, you know, we don't need that stuff. Mm, gosh. So what would you, if somebody, you know, there's a lot of very strong willed women out there that would say, Amy, you were a sellout. How could you, how could you let that happen? And, you know, we got to stand up for that. We, you know, that's not acceptable. Right. So I think you're kind of answering this, right? Sometimes we had, we had a former Navy SEAL, Mark Devine on, and he says, sometimes you got to be the oak. Sometimes you got to be the reed. Sometimes you got to be strong. And sometimes you got to kind of go with the flow a little bit. And I, I hear that in, and kind of your messaging. And I think this is a good one, especially for somebody like me. I'm bullheaded and feel like I need to win every battle. And sometimes, uh, you know, the message that I'm hearing from you is sometimes we, we need to back off a little bit. You got to take, take the long game. Yeah. You know, look at the long game. What is your ultimate goal? And if this little, little battle over here is, is little, is it, is it going to impede you getting to the ultimate goal? And is it, or is it something you want to make a stand on? You know, and there are times to make a stand. There are. It's just, I, you know, you have to determine yourself when that time is right and when it's not right. I mean, there, there are a couple examples of that in my book. One I talk about later on in, in training, many, about five years later, when I was dating who would be become my husband. Some, some years later, I was, I was told that we couldn't date because he was an instructor and I was a student in separate squadrons. And uh, the commanding officer said that he wouldn't allow that. Well, that's an unlawful order. I could have fought it. I chose not to fight it. So I broke it off with Eric for a time being. And I chose that because I was so close to the end of reaching that goal of being a front seater that I decided, you know, this just, we can, we can wait, you know, we can wait for me to get through this training and then, you know, we'll, if this relationship is, is worth it, we'll, we'll be able to pick it up on the other side. But, you know, I mean, my, my husband still teaches, teases me about that, you know, but that was, that was important to me. I felt like I wasn't going to fight that battle, even, it, even though it was an un, unlawful order and I could have. I love that because we just already made the point that you are somebody that doesn't take no for an answer. But here's a couple of instances where you said, you know what? This is the right thing to do right now. And, and I, I would assume, maybe you can correct me, you have no regrets on these decisions you made. Is that correct? No, I don't. I mean, again, you play the long game. What's the most important thing? Uh, for that time in my life, the most important thing was to, to reach that goal, you know, to, to serve my country, to fly um, those jets and to do my job. You know, fast forward to many years later, even in politics, what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is really not even to get Amy elected. It's to get better leaders in our country, to do what's right for our country, which is ultimately why I ran a really tough race against the Senate majority leader. You know, even though it was really tough and the odds were stacked against me, it was the right thing to do for our country. And now you've started your nonprofit business, which is Honor Bound Incorporated, which is around helping female veterans rise into the ranks of politics. Is that because of your experience in politics? Why did you start this? And we're going to dig in on kind of what sure. you're doing there. I started it because it's really hard to get started in politics. And a lot of people you know, don't do it and can't do it because they don't have a political last name or they're not a millionaire. And I wanted 
you know, I, I believe deeply that we need better leaders in Congress. There are only 25% women in Congress. That's just not good enough. It's not good enough. I don't accept it. And we need to, we need to have more. And in my mind, the, the best leaders are the ones that have, have proven that they can put this country above themselves and above their political party. And, and by and large, many of them come from the services. Now, my organization would inspire and support not just women veterans, but any woman who has served the country in any capacity, meaning Peace Corps, AmeriCorps, FBI, CIA, some kind of public service. Because public servants, you know, we, we don't make a ton of money, but we do it because we love our community, our state, and our country. And that's the kind of person I believe we need in political office today. So that's why I started Honor Bound. And, uh, you know, the, the, the website for that is honorboundamericans.com. And if you're like me and you believe we need better leaders in this country, that we have some pretty crazy people in Congress right now, and you would like to see them replaced by leaders of character and honor and courage, and you happen to also believe that we need more women, that's the place to go because we're going to support those women who run for office in competitive seats around the country. How do you do that? Talk to us about it just a little. Like sure. I say, yes, I'm sold, Amy. I'm going to go sign up tomorrow. How does yeah, that work? Yeah, so we have a website. It's called honorboundamericans.com. And you can support uh, the organization. It's a C4 organization. And again, it's going to go around and, and identify women around the country who have this background in competitive seats and then support them in their races. So if that's something you want to do, a lot of Americans believe in the cause, they believe in the concept, but they don't have the ability to like do the research on who's running who. And, you know, is that person a really good person? Is that person an honorable person? You know, they don't have the time for that. So if you're kind of one of those Americans that really want to want better leaders in our country and want to somehow support those better leaders, you need to go to honorboundamericans.com and contribute and be a part of this. And you can also get there through my website, which is amymcgrath.com. And through that website, you can buy the book, you can you know, uh, be a part of this organization. So we're just trying to help our country get better leaders. That's what it's about. You know, I don't know about Tara, but I, but I hear this message of, of putting country over party. I'm, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, advocate of that. And we hear this from politicians and, and maybe they, they talk about that on the campaign trail and then they get into, into Congress or, or the House and things change. Why do you think that is? You know, my sense is it takes a lot of courage to stand up for what's right. Is, is that why we, I don't know, why do politicians slip back into uh, maybe a different mode? I think that you're absolutely right. It takes a ton of courage to, to do what's right and to put their seats on the line because a lot of what might be politically expedient isn't the right thing to do. I think that's why it's so important to get people who we know have already put the country ahead of themselves. I think if we continue to elect lifelong politicians, that's what you're gonna get. You're gonna get people who have no spine, who wherever the wind blows a certain way, that's the way they're gonna move. And that's not, my opinion, that's not what we need. I, it's not to say that I would have been perfect in that role. I don't think I don't think so. I think I would have had the same pushes and pulls of any politician in office. But but I think there's a fundamental core aspect of getting people with character to to stand up for this country. When I think of people with character, think of John McCain. You know what what would John McCain think right now 
when we had, you know, a president who inspired an insurrection on January 6th. Do you think he would be just towing the line of his party right now? I don't. I think he would be more like Liz Cheney and standing up and saying, you know, enough is enough. This isn't about policy. It's not about left or right. It's not about minimum wage. It's not about any of this stuff. It's about our democracy, man. And and we got to get people that that are willing to give up their seats and willing to give up that, you know, even be thrown out in order to protect this country and protect our democracy. I do believe we can get more people like that in office. I really do. So that's what this is about. We have to. Think about how the state of our country right now. You have a daughter that's five. So she's she's very young, but as a mother, and you have two older older sons, not older, but older than your daughter. As a mother, how do we start talking to our young children about these topics? How do we start that culture within the household so that they don't have to wait until they're they're older and and dealing with it then? I think the way I want to approach it with my daughter and my sons is, you know, that this is an amazing country. I've been all around the world. I've seen the rest of the world, but our country is not perfect. And it's our responsibility. We have inherited you, me, them. We have inherited this amazing democracy, this amazing country that the really the world has never seen before. And if you look at world history, we have had 70 years of relative peace and prosperity. And I happen to believe that America is the force around the world that that helps that to happen, that has helped that to happen in the last 70 years. And we have to protect it. And so that means, you know, being involved. It means standing up um, when you believe something is right and standing up for it. And it means ultimately looking at all of the goods and bads of our country, recognizing our history. And when it comes to the bad stuff, trying our best to make things right. I think that's really important. We're not perfect, but we're not, you know, completely bad either. We have to, we have to recognize the, the bad stuff that's happened and try to make it better. That's the way I'm going to approach it with my kids. And also showing them you know, you got to step up and do do the things that, that you think you cannot do. Just like Eleanor Roosevelt said, that's what my life's been about. Beautiful message. Let's uh, let's stay with this a little bit. One of the things you mentioned in your book is, is you said playing with the boys as a young girl set you up for success later in life. Do you think, you know, as you're talking to your young daughter and maybe she wants to follow in your footsteps. Is that something you would advise her to do? Should our young females have to go out and play with the boys? Is that, is that kind of, I don't know, is that, a, is that the way we got to do it? Yeah, if she wants to. Sure. I think she should absolutely be able to, and, and, and she'd be great. You know, what's interesting to me is even I have to be careful about the kinds of messages that I send to my children. I was driving home about a year and a half ago, like during the campaign, I was picking my kids up from school and we were going home. And at that point, you know, my daughter was like three or four and my sons were like seven and, you know, five. 
and we'd gotten caught in traffic and the two younger ones fell asleep. And the older one, so I'm talking to the older one, who's a boy, Teddy. And I said, Teddy, you know, what do you, what do you want to be growing up? What do you want to do? And he said, I'm going to be a policeman. And I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. You're saving lives. You're, you know, it's a good job. And I said, what, what do you think George is going to be? George is my middle child. What do you think George is going to do? Oh, George is going to be a fireman. I was like, oh, that's a great job. That's awesome. But, you know, I said, but Ted, what about fire pilot, man? Like, that's a pretty cool job. <laughs> Have, have you ever thought about that? Because I'm thinking in my mind, I'm thinking, gosh, none of my none of my kids are going to be fighter pilots. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking I'm, I'm pushing them a little bit. I'm like, that's a really cool job, Teddy. And, and, and he said to me, you know what he said to me? Without a, a moment's hesitation, he said, oh, mom, that's what Eleanor is going to be. Oh, wow. That's great. And Love I it. thought to myself, <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it should be, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that goes without saying. Uh, the, the, all, all those jobs should be open to whether you're male or female. And then I think that's, uh, of course, what we're talking about here, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this might be something you, you pass on to your kids, maybe intentionally or unintentionally. But I'm curious, with all of your background and the successes you've had and the smart and wise choices that you've made, what quality or value of yours, do you think has been the instrumental, most important uh, one to your success? If you had to kind of narrow it down to one. I think it's courage. And courage is not something you're born with. Courage is something you develop. You have to have the courage to keep going when you fail. You have to have the courage to take the first step in any endeavor, which a lot of people don't. You have to have the courage to push yourself beyond your limits the courage to do the hard things, as we talked about, the courage to overcome fear of criticism. Mm. It's huge. That, ha- that, that, that courage has been, I think, the single most important thing. And I, and I tell people, and I tell young people, you know, how do, when they say, well, how do you develop it? And I say, well, you develop it by doing, by challenging yourself every day. Challenge yourself with the little things, step by step. Your your podcast is called Forging Metal, so this is a really good analogy. My my son has introduced me to this Star Wars thing called the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And in the Mandalorian, the the he goes out and when he does something, he gets a medal called a Beskar, and he gets and he brings it back to the people that forged the medal, and they and then they're able to put it on his armor. So once he, you know, and he, he's building up his armor step by step by step. That is similar to what I'm talking about. When you go tackle a challenge, whether it is, boy, I've never run a mile before. Or I've never done a, triath- a triathlon before. Or I don't think I can take this course. Or maybe it's public speaking. And you're, you're not, you know, and you go tackle that challenge and you do it. Then you get that, that, other, that um, other piece that you can put on your armor that piece of confidence to be able to say for the next thing, you know, I've done these things, I can do the next thing. And so when people say to me, you know, was it, was it hard to debate Mitch McConnell on national TV? Not really. Not when you've done all of these other things, you know, when you're doing night carrier landings and you've done all those things. And I've been able to do those things because step by step by step, I've challenged myself in the little things along the way and kept challenging myself. 
That's courage. What do you say? Uh, what well, such a wonderful message. But what do you say when I when I, what happens when I, I try those hard things, Amy, and I fail? Mm-hmm. How do you process that? Well, I think you have to keep trying. If they are not life and death things, you just have to keep practicing, and you have to in, have reach your goals. And it and if the, if the goal is insurmountable, you know maybe maybe you tackle it a different way. Maybe you go after a different thing. You know, I, I at this point in my life, I'm not sure I can run three miles in 21 minutes. I, I could have, could have done it when I was you know 18 or 19, but you know I can't do that anymore. So that's not a really a goal that I you know that that is achievable for me. But I can go out and still run a 5K. You know, and and so I think that you you figure out what it is you want, and you know you, you cannot be afraid to, to try things and fail, you know, and, and, and I'm a perfect example of that because I had done, I had a lot of success stories, you know, when, when, when people ask me, you know, what, where have you failed, you know, and up to the point where I ran for office, you know, there's been a lot of success in my life. It wasn't until I ran for office when I had two big, big fat failures, right? I ran for a house seat and lost by two points. I ran for the Senate seat and lost to Mitch McConnell, and they were extremely public, right? But I'm here to tell you, you survive it. And and still, I'm really glad that I did it because it was the right thing to do. And I would have done it again, you know? So it's it's super hard to fail, but most of us don't have to fail in a public way. And even those of us that do, like me, guess what? You still survive on the other side and you're better for it. Mm, Well, clearly it's not debating politics live on national television that is the hardest thing you've ever done. (laughs) But what is? What is the hardest thing, Amy, that you have done in your life, do you think? Uh, I think that it comes down to, this is such a tough question because I've done a lot of hard things. There's, There's physical, right? And then there's, there's sort of the mental, I think from the physical side, you know, the, the, some of the training that I have gone through in the Marine Corps, the 20 mile rock hikes in training survival school, where you go days without end, you know, days with no, it was definitely some of the hardest things I've done. Then the night carrier landings. I mean, you want to talk about the, the toughest job on earth physically mentally it's just intense to the hundredth degree night carrier landings and and that sort of flight stuff so i think that's top up there too but physically um having my second son with no epidural which was not by choice was was right up there too i think it was harder than any anything else frankly but you then just mentally, scared every woman from having a childbirth. <laughs> I got through it. I got They're through like, it. wait, what? That's the hardest thing, Amy? Yeah, I got through it. And, and I look back on it with smiles now, you know, whenever I see my, my George, my, my second child. But I think mentally, it's, it's putting yourself in the political arena right now. In, the, in, this, mm-hmm. in this political environment, you know, you, you go from, in my case, go from an institution that everybody respects. You go from having a name that everybody respects to the moment you put your hat in the ring, 
as a D or as an R, 50% of the population hate you. And I think that that is, takes an enormous amount of internal mental courage to do that. Knowing that you're gonna be lied about, knowing that you're gonna be criticized, knowing that people who have never been in public and now have the Twittersphere and all of these other things to throw darts at you um, are going to do that and doing it anyway, because you love your country. That's all. Yes, wow. wow. There, the, <laughs> the hair just stood up on my arms. Uh, it takes a lot of courage. A, a ton. And on that note, Amy, how can people support you either in that endeavor? How can people work with you, follow you? How can they be involved in what you're working on and what you're working toward? Well, if you're like me and you you believe that we need strong patriots to step up and run for office who can do these sorts of things and that that is the future to help our country, you should go to honorboundamericans.com and help support this this initiative to help get women uh, and men who are patriots elected into office and into p- places that you know can make decisions for our country that matter. So that's that's how you can follow me. I do have a website, amymcgrath.com, and I'm up on on Twitter and Facebook and all those all those social media sites. But you know, we're we're just out there. We're trying to make a difference for our country right now and supporting others to make a difference going forward. And shame on you, Amy, you didn't plug your book, but I'll plug oh, it for that's you. That's right, I should have. <laughs> Go out and buy I'm, I'm new book. to this author thing, so I do have a I do have a book. It just came out this week, yes, and I'm very yes. excited about that. And um, Very humble author, as we <laughs> yes. can see. Yeah. It's the story and, of, of my life and those leadership principles that I talked about, and a little bit of politics at the end, but not much. And I'm, I'm really excited about it and I'm hoping everybody goes out and, and buys it. And there's an audiobook version too, which I did. I did the reading for myself, which is very much an experience. I think everybody Fabulous. should write a memoir and have to. Yeah, there's have to there's a hard thing. So, yeah. I am, I'm um, writing my book right now. Yeah. I'm writing my, my own book right now. And I, and I wonder if I could, if I could narrow it. Uh, that, that's probably tough. Wonderful. All of those things, as you as you know from our podcast, will be in the show notes. Please check that out. There'll be links to all the stuff that Amy just talked about. Let's uh, let's put a bow on this and, and wrap it up. And with our signature last question, and we've already kind of touched on this a little bit. This idea of failure, and as Tara and I like to normalize failure and say, even successful people like Amy have failures. Don't ever think that that people get to, you know, maybe the top of the pedestal without a lot of failures along the way. So we're going to ask you, Amy, what is your greatest failure and what did you learn from it? Well, I would tell you, and I've already said, you know, my my greatest failure in, in my life has been these two campaigns because I because I ultimately didn't win in the campaigns, right? It's a, it's a black or white thing. You either win or you didn't. However, I think there were many successes out of them in that we changed the conversation. We helped change the country and move in the right direction from a broader perspective. I certainly learned mentally tough I can be, and I'm proud of what we did. But I would say that in general, you know, from a fighter pilot's perspective, I don't ever want to have a wingman who hasn't failed. I don't ever want anybody on my team who hasn't failed at something because the people that have failed at something and haven't failed at something and something big are the ones that don't have the courage to really try. 
Because if you have the courage to really try and test your, you're going to have failures along the way. And those are the types of people who can pick themselves up at the end of the day and go forward. And that's the kind of person I want on my team. And that's the kind of person I want in combat with me. And that's the kind of person ultimately I want to have as a leader. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.